In today's episode, we go through the values of the Agile Manifesto. You're listening to the Iteration Station. Welcome back to the Iteration Station. I'm your host, Jake. I am joined by Brett, as always. And Brett, what are we talking about today? Today, we're talking about the Agile Manifesto. So the core principles, not even the principles, the values uh, of Very the distinctly not the principles. <laughs> yes, there are, are principles. Yes, they do have principles. But these are the values, the four values of the Agile Manifesto. Uh, individuals and interactions over process and tools. Working software over comprehensive documentation, customer collaboration over contract negotiation, and responding to change over following a plan. Yeah, and so we, I think we want to just take a little time to go over each of these, uh, each of these four things, kind of individually, and talk about some of maybe our experience um, and just the value in each of these particular bits of the manifesto. Uh, so we'll start with individuals and interactions over process and tools. Um, this is one of those ones that. You know, it seems kind of obvious when you think about like servant leadership styles in terms of just valuing your individuals and the interactions that you're having at a company over the tooling that you're using, the technologies you're using, right? Sure. Um, yeah, there's a, a common, um, it's kind of the, the old way of doing things is make sure that we build a process around everything that we do. Make sure that we have standard tooling around everything right. that we do, that everybody's following the same process. We're all using the same tool set to get our stuff done. Yeah. Uh, and it's not focused on the work, it's focused on how you're doing the work. And the, the shift seems to be, you know, if, if you get everybody on the same process and using the same tools, there's benefits to that. Sure. But the fact of the matter is every individual on your team is different. And, yeah. you know, especially when you, you talk about like generational differences and things and backgrounds and diversity is something you're stressing so much. If those are things that are important to you, you're not going to be able to just then treat everyone the same and get on the same processes. The point of that diversity and those different takes is that you have just that, you have differences of opinions. Yeah, absolutely. If you're focused on on normalizing all that stuff, you're missing out on those right. opportunities that the diversity brings, the different backgrounds of thinking, and different paradigms people come from. If you if you put the emphasis on the individuals themselves, uh, then you help, you bring that discussion into the light and then uh, you, you can collaborate now and have you gain the benefits of having those diverse schools of thought. Yeah, and I think you're, you see that at even just on the enterprise level as we look at some of just the trainings I've been in from a cultural standpoint, uh, the, the emphasis is people first. Yeah. Um, so look at the individual person more so than the work, you know, and I think that that helps add to some of just the results you get and the engagement out of out of employees and out of just doing the work as a team. Yeah, absolutely. When I think about uh, this value, individuals and interactions over process and tools, to me, like the the mind picture that comes, comes into my brain uh, is about two people having a conversation uh, versus somebody filling out a form and making right. a request. Yeah. And, and having a conversation, it, you get to the root of whatever the issue is. You have it's a dialogue. You can have questions. It's back and forth, and you get to a solution a lot quicker than if you fill out a form. Somebody rejects it because you didn't fill it out right, and and you're you streamline that process of whatever it is you're trying to. If you're trying to solve a problem, if you have a question, it's streamlined when you have people talking to each other instead of jumping through hoops. I like that kind of the example you're using there of essentially like a ticket. If you're finding a ticket. Uh, and I, I would encourage everyone to try if you if you need to file a ticket with a team or if you are a team that receives tickets and works through a queue, 
just call the requester or call the person you're putting a ticket to and just see how quickly you can hammer it out without yeah. you know any yeah. delay. I think I think you find a lot of uh, efficiency boosts there yeah, just absolutely. by having those you know five minute conversations versus waiting three days for it to bubble up to the top. Yeah, and I, there are countless times that I've tried to fill out a ticket and the forms are so convoluted that I call the person anyways and say, "Will you walk me through <laughs> writing this ticket that you will receive so that you can work on something?" And then as the added bonus, if you call them, it seems more important than the rest of their <laughs> yeah, tickets, that's, so that's you true. can kind of jump your way to the top. Yeah, yeah, there, so. yeah. for for better or for so worse. If nothing else, selfishly, you should do this yeah, to, to get your stuff taken care of. <laughs> So, okay, great. Uh, should we move on? Yeah, let's take a look at the second one, uh, working software over comprehensive documentation. And, I, go ahead. Uh, I was just saying, like, in the in the development, so I came up through uh, kind of the development path. I started off doing software development, uh, and there was always, we're just really bad at documentation to begin with. Um, so there's always this big push for writing documentation so that somebody else can pick up your work and run with it so that you in six months can go back and look at the work that you did and figure out what it is and you can run with it again. So there's always this big push for documentation um, but the Agile Manifesto is kind of flipping the script and saying you know what first we need to get our software working that's the most important thing because our customers don't care about our documentation they care about the software that we're writing. That's that's kind of a foreshadowing of the next one too, the customer <laughs> oriented. True. So, that's but true. I think when you talk about the developer thing, uh, just having been a developer and the emphasis on documentation, there an interesting thing I was thinking about earlier today is you know you talk about code being self commented. Uh, we should name our variables in a way that makes sense. Yeah. The way that our code is written should make sense without having to explain it or have all this documentation that that we're talking about. I think a similar thing can be applied to the software you're creating. Uh, if you have a web app, it should be intuitive enough from a user experience standpoint that it doesn't need documentation for how to handle it, how to work around with it. The help section should be very small um, because it should be kind of clear and obvious in terms of just how the software is working, that it, your, your help center shouldn't be the first stop that people are making. It should intuitively work as in the way that they want it to. Absolutely. If, if people are struggling to use the software, you need to talk to your software design team and figure out what are the pain points and why isn't this, like you said, an intuitive process? Why are people struggling to actually use the thing that we built? And I, yeah, I, just generally speaking as an industry, it feels like we've come a long way on that and started to emphasize the, the psychology of how people approach apps, right? You know, with eye tracking and uh, like click analysis, this type of stuff lets us to kind of identify where some pain points are and, and act on those before we hear the feedback, right? We're not we're not in the world of Clippy anymore, trying to <laughs> yeah. make it open, yeah. literal, comprehensive documentation yeah, on, on every. Looks like you're trying feature. to record a podcast. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could have used Clippy this earlier, yeah. just before we started recording. Yeah, yeah, yeah that started. So, uh, yeah, I also want to call out. Um, so, the Agile Manifesto. I actually, I don't know when it was written. It's, it's in software terms. It's pretty old at this point, um, but. It calls out working software over comprehensive. 2001. 2001. Okay, there we go. Perfect. Um, So yeah, as of recording, that's 19 years old now. Uh, And it still holds true. All these these values hold true. Uh, They do say working software. And we're seeing Agile be uh, adopted into different uh, types of work than just software development. And so if I had to modify uh, anything in the Agile manifesto, it would probably be that word. I'd take working software and replace it with a working product sure. uh, or, or fit that to whatever it is that you're using Agile for. Um, you want that to be working over the documentation process. Now, 
do you think working working product, we'll say, sure. can, can be kind of a pitfall though for uh, when you think about MVP? You know, an MVP you want to get out the first thing you have done. Sure. And you don't know that it's necessarily going to work right. So yeah. I, I just it kind of seems at odds with that. Well, yeah, I think I think sometimes there's a little bit, and this could be a, a whole other discussion about what an MVP actually is. I think sometimes stay we, tuned. That may be a future the, episode. The future, <laughs> future episode of the Iteration Station. Uh, I think that we sometimes skip the V part of MVP, the minimum viable product. Sure. And that if it's not working, it's probably not viable. Okay. Um, so viable means it's got to survive in the marketplace. It has to hold its own. Right. So we have to provide enough value and be of high enough quality that this product will live in the ecosystem that we're introducing it to. I think that's a good answer. I think that you know, that kind of covers that. So, cool. And I think that is important because so, so frequently it is push it out as quick as possible. But right. that, that viability and is it the right thing to do right now is, is a good question. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's move on. Uh, number three, uh, customer collaboration over contract negotiation. Um, I, I mean, it, it's this is the one that I think is like the most blatantly obvious <laughs> one where it's like, yeah, you want to you want to work together, not argue over right. who's right and who said what and how much we pay. Right. Yep, absolutely. That, it requires in an uh, an immense amount of trust between uh, the team that's that's doing the building part and the customer that you're building for. And that trust, uh, you have to build that trust from the get-go. And sometimes just building something, starting with an MVP is a great way to build that trust and say, before we get into like the long-term, what's this gonna cost, what's our timeframes, let's build you something real quick that we can show you that if this is kind of in the right direction, then let's talk about kind of a long-term thing. Right. And then, and if it's not what you want, then we'll figure out, you know, what does this cost for, for the thing that we delivered at least. And, and it is that trust, right? And and I'm going to tie this back to another kind of training that I went through where it was it, it was really about policy and, and enforcing policy. It's not the letter of the law isn't the way you should be punishing people. You yeah. should look at each situation individually and say, what is the spirit of this rule? And I kind of think that that's a similar thing here is with the customer, what is the spirit of what they want? Not necessarily what line by line they put in their contract of what your software must do. Yep. How do we meet their needs in a more general sense and not necessarily down to the specifics? Yeah, exactly. I think it is important to have a contract uh, established so that everybody's clear and understanding what is it that we're doing and what are we doing it for yeah. and yeah. and what are the reasons behind it. But having those, like you're saying, that back and forth and nitpicking every little thing that we need to get in there, right. uh, I, I think that's a lot of time that could be spent uh, Better places. Yeah, and when does I mean when does contract negotiation start? Right, it's before any of the work has been done in most cases. True. So it's at the time you know the least about what's about to happen is when you're building out the legal document yeah. for how it will happen. Exactly. Um, so you know that's that's the type of thing where you want to trust your customer and be able to go back to that contract to renegotiate or you know just revise in a way that is beneficial to both sides. Because yeah. I think generally speaking that that can happen. Yeah, and we see great examples like that manifesting in Scrum where you have your sprint demos. That's, that's like a mini renegotiation every sprint mm -hmm. and saying, hey, this is what we've got so far. Do you want to continue funding this? Do you have any other changes you want to make or different directions you want to go in? Whereas if, you, if you're in a traditional project mindset, all those ideas that the customer would want invalidates the contract that you signed because you negotiated all that stuff up front, and then now you're building the thing that you negotiated, and halfway through, the customer says, that's not what I want anymore, but that's what the contract says. So now we're right. gonna hold into this thing that's become archaic. And then is that, you know, is that 
that good customer service when you're saying, no, you said you want this. We will not build you what you want. Right. And in fact, we'll charge you more to get you what you want. And we're still going to build all the yeah, stuff you exactly. don't want. Like no. that's, that's, that's just bad business yeah, ethics, yeah, I think. Yeah, it's nobody's, so nobody's happy with that. Right. That's not. So, I mean, that's the flexibility. If you, if a, especially this, I, I mean, this helps to build relationships. If you, if you are somebody who, who works as a, a as a sale, selling a product, if you're willing to say, no, I'm not going to hold you to what you said. Let's do what you want now instead. Yeah, you know, you just gained a customer for life. So I think that that's the first time you do it. It's a lot maybe harder to kind of adjust to, but yep. you realize, look at what I've just built here in terms of this this long term customer relationship that uh, can kind of keep going versus the cash grab of no, I'm going to keep charging them, you know, like crazy here, and then also pile on another thing that doesn't leave a good taste in their mouths. So. Absolutely, I think that dovetails really nicely into the the fourth value: responding to change yeah. over following a plan. We kind of were hitting on that over the contract negotiation because right. we're looking at the contract as kind of the high level plan for how the right. project's going to get done. But um, the responding to change over following a plan, it's good to have a plan for sure to say this is kind of the direction that we're headed. Right. But the more the time that you invest into that plan up front, the more time you're going to waste when that plan changes. Yeah, and, and my thing for, for this final one, especially is I think with internal to the company changes, I think this happens a lot more internally, is maybe there's a high-level vision or a high-level direction that uh, an executive or some you know person with all the strings is kind of set. Getting them to be able to deviate from you know their baby to some degree to say let's make this the best it can be, not necessarily what I thought it must be you know two months ago. Yeah, and that can be a hard fight as a especially as like a developer, or a team member, just that that can get tricky to push back on. But you know, being able to show those different options helps to give some of the power to to change that stuff. Yeah, for sure. That's that. I mean. We're dipping our toes into a whole big discussion about culture. Stay tuned for future episodes. That's right. <laughs> yeah, always a future episode on the Irish <laughs> yeah, That's right. Uh, but yeah, that, that speaks to the culture of the organization, the culture of the teams. It talks about leadership. You have to have leadership that's humble enough to say, I don't know the right answer or I don't know everything about this, but as a team, we can get to the right answer or we can get to a better spot than we are right now. Yeah, which is... which. I mean, that's just a, an issue of empowerment that it gives to, to your team to make those decisions and feel like they can use their own common sense to make decisions, <laughs> which I think, I think people appreciate that when, yeah, for when, sure. when they're not so bogged down in rules and, and policy and ideas that they don't feel they can even do the thing that's common sense. Yeah, and that ties back up into the first one again, individuals and interactions. Like Those are the important things. Right. It's, it's like you said, right. people first, having that people first mentality. So I, I briefly want to talk and just kind of get your thoughts as we've kind of transitioned into SAFE a little bit. How do you think SAFE looks at these things versus maybe a traditional scrum environment? Um, so I think that SAFE recognizes that we're in an enterprise and it's going to take a lot more change overall than just a traditional scrum team saying like we've got one team that we're going to transition from waterfall to, to agile yeah. using the scrum framework. Um, so SAFE... I, th I don't want to say they compromise a little bit on this, but maybe they're not as um, as quick to iterate on on what they would like to if they were just a scrum team. For example, uh, following a plan in, in SAFE, you have a plan that you create for more than a single sprint. And Scrum will say, you know, you can groom a backlog maybe a sprint or two sprints out, but that's kind of the extent of the planning from a prescriptive Scrum standpoint. SAFE is saying, no, we're going to do uh, an entire 
program increment, which is going to be several sprints long or several iterations long. And so there's more of a plan there. Uh, but I think that it does a good job of saying we don't, it's not a contract. That's okay. that's something that it's right. a plan that we're going to respond to change with. Yeah. And I, I, I brought it up because I just wanted to kind of mention, I, I think I agree with all of what, what you're saying. Hopefully I can tie this up in a way that makes sense. <laughs> uh, you know, the final part of the Agile Manifesto is saying, while we value the items on the right, <laughs> we value the <laughs> items on the right, we value the items on the left more. And just to kind of, that doesn't play well on audio, but just to go over that, the things on the left, which are valued more are the individuals and interactions, working software, customer collaboration, and responding to change. While the things on the right, which we value a little less, are processes and tools, comprehensive documentation, contract negotiation, and following a plan. And I, I just wanted to bring that up because I think while in a in a in maybe a scrum environment, we value the things on the left at maybe like 80% and the things on the right at like 20%. Sure. And I think in safe, it might be closer to 60-40. Yeah. Because uh, there's just some different things, you know, the, it's a bigger process. It's a more hefty process. Um, the documentation, I think you have some more of that kind of upfront, you're planning a little further out. Yep. Um, that yeah. you know, every quarter you're planning for a full quarter in advance, and then of course that plan is kind of what it is. It's still open to change, even yeah. within those bigger iterations. Yeah, for sure. And there's things like you're in an enterprise level organization at this point, so you have to have some standardization of tools, right? Uh, and, and things like that. So there is a little bit more emphasis on the stuff that's on the right, and and all that stuff. Even in Scrum, it's still important. Those things are still important. Right. We just don't want every developer doing whatever they want using whatever language they want and trying to merge sure. all their code together with exactly. like disparate languages. <laughs> so there's got to be some communication around that, some degree of agreement. It is important, but we don't want to do that at the sacrifice of the individuals and interactions, right. the working software, the collaboration, and the responding to change. And I think that's the that's just the bottom line is, yep. is those items on the left we, we care about a little bit more. So uh, I think that kind of leaves us at a final thought. I mean, I think we we pretty much covered it at this yeah. point. Uh, yep. Anything else you'd add, or do you think we're good? No, I think I think that kind of covers it. This is any question that we have. Anytime something comes up, um, any a scrum master will ask a question, or somebody on a team will ask a question. Starting from this agile manifesto, what at the root of the question are we getting too in the weeds? Are we getting too on the right of the list, and are we sacrificing the stuff on the left? That's usually where I start from. So this is the filter for decision-making in, yeah. in the Agile space. Yeah, and that can help be a tiebreaker or just take you back a little bit to, to look at the issue differently. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's a, a good spot to end, and thank you for tuning in and listening to the Iteration Station. Thank you.